There is something really cool about rowing, um, especially with music like that. Um, the power, um, the precision, uh, the sleekness of it, the synchronization, um, the speed, the training, the effort, the teamwork, and the finish line. I'm going to be, uh, as time moves along here through the rest of this series, using more and more rowing illustrations and uh, imagery. And uh, I'll just say it this way. Hey, Team Harvest, we are rowers. And uh, we're going to be picking that up more and more here in this uh, series. Our text today is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're in verses 13 through 18. Page 987, if you need to use one of the Bibles there. Uh, have your Bibles open on your lap. Uh, we love digging into God's Word. The words matter. We're in the final paragraph of chapter 4. Uh, just kind of get a little setting here. Uh, Mid-July, we began the initial verses of chapter 4. In fact, let me read a couple of those. Verse 1, Finally then, brothers and sisters, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so how? More and more. And then verse 3, For this is the will of God, your sanctification what verse 1 is talking about. Walking in the Lord, for the Lord, more and more. A church that is on the move is it, consists of people that are advancing on the move. And we want to be that. And then uh, the last Sunday of July, we were a church, talking about a church on the move as a Philadelphia people. Philadelphia, it's the word in the Greek for a love, kind of the brotherly love that goes on there. Verse 9 in chapter 4. Now concerning brotherly love, or Philadelphias is the word, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that is indeed what you are doing to all the brothers and sisters throughout Macedonia. And, and there is this call to, to be that and to do that. And then in uh, verse 11 and 12, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs, to work with your hands as we instructed you. Uh, it's the idea of how do we uh, love one another within the same sentence. Uh, that is not a term that's saying pull out from relationship with other people. It's actually saying we're to structure our so that we are able to love on people more and more so. That we're to live quiet about ourselves so that we can be noisy about others. We are to uh, uh, mind our affairs so we can get after the affairs of others and loving on them in that. And we're to work hard as a team member, uh, and that includes loving on one another, and that includes out of that having a testimony to those even outside of our own circle. And today here we're picking up at verse 13, and we begin here with a major truth uh, verse 13, and I'm going to spend a little bit of time on that, so if you're a, a major note taker, so in the sermon notes, that's coming here in a while, but that's going to actually be a while later. It's going to go quickly through that, so it's all cool. It's all cool. We're going to leave on time, whatever that means, And uh, but just I need to set some ground here, okay? I'm going to be setting some ground both for this Sunday as well as for next Sunday. So I'm going to take some time with this, but I want us to see a major truth that starts verse 13, and it says this. Paul, Silas, and Timothy says, but we, that's Paul, Silas, and Timothy, do not want you, that's God's people in Thessalonica, to be uninformed. 
stop. That's a major truth. In other words, saying we do not want you to be uh, uninformed is saying we want you to be informed. And, And the reality here is that God's people are to be an informed people. Let me say that again. God's people are to be an informed people. Uh, Not uninformed, but informed. And a church that is on the move uh, are are an informed people. Uh, The fact is that God has been about informing his people from the very beginning. In fact, let me give you that picture. Genesis chapters one and two. God creates Adam and Eve, and what's the first thing we find God doing with Adam and Eve after he creates Adam and Eve? Informing them. He's telling them what they're to be doing. God is informing them. We get into Genesis Genesis chapter three, even when sin comes into the picture, what do we find happening? God calls a meeting. He brings Satan, Adam, and Eve together, and what does he do? He informs them. God could have just let it like, I'll go to pot, but God pulls them together and he informs them uh, with information of what's taking place. You go to Noah, Genesis six. Uh, God interrupts Noah's life, why? To inform Noah. Hey, Noah, I got a different idea for you. But God informs him in that whole process. You go to the Moses in the burning bush, Exodus 3 and 4. God interrupts Moses' life and to inform him. Hey, Moses, I've heard the cry of my people. And I'm going to bring them out and give them a land. And they will be my people. And uh, God informs Moses through that. Joshua chapter one, God commissions Joshua and informs Joshua. Joshua, I'm giving you a land. I will go before you. Joshua, be strong and courageous. The whole, everybody's favorite book of the Bible, the book of Leviticus. The whole book is about God, if you will, structuring and informing God is informing his people at that time how he wants them to function. You know, we look at that and we go, oh man, it's got all this crazy stuff. No, but the whole awesome thing about it is God is informing his people. And we forget this truth. Later in the Old Testament, God actually informs his people that he's gonna bring some judgment upon them for their unfaithfulness. But God informs them even of that. In the New Testament, Zechariah and Elizabeth are informed about John. Mary and Joseph are informed about baby Jesus. The shepherds are informed. Simeon is informed. Anna is informed. Then John the baptizer, what is his job? He's informing. Then what does Jesus do? God in the flesh, the second person of the Trinity in the flesh. What does he do? He informs. What is the Great Commission all about? The Great Commission in Acts chapter one, verse eight is all about God informing his people what our task is. That goes all the way back to Genesis one and two. God is an informing God. Uh, Book of Revelation. Remember that? Two years ago, if you were here, uh, two years ago we went through the Book of Revelations, and I mean this seriously. I am still recovering from that, personally. And um, the whole Book of Revelation is not about charts and timelines. The whole book of Revelation is about God informing us of who God is and that he's got it. Hey, with all the crazy news going on in the world, he's got it. 
Okay? God informs his people. We forget that. And yet, in the reality of it all, uh, he is informing us because he wants us to be informed. What an awesome God. You know, and yet, it's sometimes it's kind of the thing of, yeah, but <laughs> he hasn't told me everything I want to know. You know, just ponder that for a moment because that is actually quite an arrogant question. Like God owes me some information as though God hasn't given me enough. But I get it because I've asked it. (laughs) Um, And yet the reality is he has informed us of everything that we need to know. 2 Peter chapter one. He has informed us with everything that we need to know. This is the will of God for you. Your sanctification, growing in Christ, living for Christ more and more, and he has fully, fully informed us of what that is. Uh, let me just say, kind of consider this. We are rowers. We are rowers in illustration of kind of this series that I'm using. And uninformed rowers are in trouble. Think about it. We're not, we're not in an individual rowing boat either. We're, we're like in the team boat. And if those rowers are uninformed, it's chaos. There's no synchronization. There's no team. There's no speed. They're in trouble. But God has informed us how to row. And that's what we're looking to learn more and more. Rowers for Christ are to be increasingly informed people. By the way, increasingly informed of what God has given us. I'm not talking Dr. Phil informed. I'm not talking your favorite blog peep informed. I'm not even talking your favorite pastor, teacher, whatever informed. What God has given us increasingly more informed on that, right? Right? That's what we're seeking to do. God's people are to be an informed people. Um, By the way, as kind of odd as this might sound in this breath of statement, that includes God's people being informed about death. Take a look at the text. Verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed brothers, uninformed sisters, about those who are asleep. (laughs) Hey, Harvest. Um, Shirley Hamrick is asleep. Uh, I remember Shirley years ago in the theater sitting right down over here in the theater all the time. What a sweet woman. She's asleep. Passed away just recently. And as I think about that, I think about Ed, and I think about Joe. Asleep. Asleep. 
And the Lord does not want his people to be uninformed about those who are asleep. Because when we are uninformed about those who are asleep, it causes trouble, as it actually was in Thessalonica. And I can tell you that surely and Ed and Joe were informed. They were informed rowers. And um, therefore, their passing does not, over the years, bring a grief that is without hope. Imagine that you lived in Thessalonica in the day. Um, It's a culture that had a vast number of deities, small d deities. There were gods for kind of everything. And by the way, each one of those deities pretty much had a different teaching about death in the afterlife. It's somehow in the culture in Thessalonica they were a culture that bought into the intellectually deficient concept that as diverse and different and completely radically different teaching from one another, they all end up the same somehow. It's not too different from today, is it? All ways kind of led to a common end. I'm just going to tell you, it was then and it is now, because that is completely intellectually deficient. But that's all you've known. That's what you grew up with. That's the only thing you've come to understand. And then you come to be informed about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And like Shirley, Ed, and Joe out of being informed about the gospel of Jesus Christ, you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And not only do you make a commitment of your life, but you walk in Christ. and Not perfectly, but you begin to pursue the journey, the, your will, your sanctification, walking in the Lord, for the Lord, more and more. And in becoming increasingly informed about the gospel, you hear that Jesus Christ is returning. Oh, friends, in Thessalonica, that concept was completely different than anything that was on the table. No deity came to get you. There was no such concept of that. All deities were there to crush you. And yet here you hear that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh is going to be returning, and you hear even that he's going to be returning soon. And all are going noisy and to-do, or many of them are going noisy and getting all up in a to-do about, about this and, and quitting their jobs and their, their emailing and time charts and newspaper clippings to each other about it. And they're getting all in a to-do, and they're getting off course in the interest of it all. And what do you do then when a few of your rowing members die? 
I mean, this is a brand new paradigm to you. And a few of your rowing members die, and you're wondering, oh my word, are they like gone and out? Are they like not going to be part of the parousia, the return of Christ? Are they going to miss out? What's going to be taking place with all of this? And you're just wondering, what's up? What's up with my teammates that have died and Jesus hasn't returned? What's up with where are they now? What's what up with will they miss out on the parousia? And your concerns begin to turn to doubt. They begin to turn to fear. They begin to turn into discouragement. And you just don't know. You feel unsure and you're, you're uninformed. And it would be really helpful to know, wouldn't it? It would just be really helpful to know. After all, uninformed teammates are in trouble. But informed teammates can kick it out. And it would be wonderful to hear. Oh, by the way, when you're at the place where you're kind of all upset and concerned and discouraged with something like what's going on with death and ones I love and the return of Christ, and I mean, that's just working you all up. Listen, that, that is not a time for a seminary class. Let me say that again because I, I'm not getting kind of a feel from you on this. When you are at a place to where you have lost someone that you love, correct, Marita? You're not at a place where you want someone to sit down with you and show you charts. Amen. You're not at a place where you need someone to email you about events of the news going on in our world. You need encouragement. You just need some basic information to bring you back and to settle your soul and to help you understand that the Lord has it. You do not need a seminary class. Why am I saying all that? Because that's where this text so often goes. It loses the context and runs in our own interests. And I'm not going to do that. There can be other times for that. But Paul and Silas and Timothy do not begin an eschatology course. They do not begin a course telling about what all the timelines are going to be for the Lord's return. They are loving on people. In fact, look at verse 18. The first word is, say it together, Okay, therefore, is tying what has just been said. Okay, in light of what I just said, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Oh, oh, by the way, next Sunday, I'm just gonna give it away. Go to chapter five, verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. What's the point of this Sunday and next Sunday if we're sticking with the text? Encouragement. That's the point. Because people are struggling, wondering what's going on in their situation and they're about to be encouraged with some information. So you ready for some encouragement? Because you're gonna get it today, not from me, but from God's word. And here's the deal of it all. Why is it 
that actually looking at this text and next Sunday's text, verses 1 through 11, why is it that in the discussions of those texts, it often ends up in more fighting than encouragement? Holmes says, unfortunately, these texts have a long history of being misused and fiercely debated. I don't know, just fiercely debated just doesn't give me the feel of encouraged. (laughs) I realize I'm not a smart guy, but I think I got that idea. So a text written with a purpose to be an encouragement commonly ends up being a text that's debated into division and I'm not going to do that today. So all you eschatology fans, get encouraged. Because I'm not going where you want me to go. I'm sticking with the text. And we're going to get some information. So let me sum it this way. All of that. This text and next Sunday's text is more pastoral than theological. It is more pastoral than theological. It is more of, hey, Jeff and Nikki. Nikki, Shirley's daughter. They need encouragement. They don't need a chart. While I'm on it, Andy and Kelly. Avery and Alex don't need a chart, right? They just need to be encouraged by this text because this is Ed's story and Marita, Julian and Adam. They need to be encouraged by this text. And for all of us, time to get encouraged. Thank you for bearing with me. I get so frustrated. God's people take texts that are supposed to accomplish a purpose and end up in a fight. And I'm tired of it. And I'm mad about it. We're not going to be that, church. We're going to the text. That wasn't in my notes. So here we go. I got to get my head going. Okay, verse 13. But we, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, do not want you, God's people, to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. 
let's just pause. We want to kind of take this verse at a time here. This is really interesting because there are a, a three theology or three big theology items coming out of here, and we're not on the slides yet, so don't worry. Sorry, I should have given you more room on the top of your notes today. That was my bad. But three things here I want to note here. First, the text tells that there is not annihilationism. There's a common uh, idea out there that kind of uh, when people die, they just die and are done and are dead. And it's like they just turn into dirt, okay? It's like alive, dead, gone, no afterlife. It's called annihilationism. That's not what the text here says because it talks about those who are asleep. (laughs) Hey, uh, for you this afternoon, if you're like asleep on the couch, you look dead. (laughs) But you are not. Right? I mean, that's the euphemism being used here. That's the imagery being used here. It's like you, you, you look like you're out and gone, but no, you're here. You are, you, you are just kind of here, uh, but you are here in it. And, and asleep, three times in the text, it's at the end of verse 14, it's the end of verse 15. And I think this imagery of asleep fits perfectly It's like you're physically out, but you are alive. It's talking about death. Matthew 27, Jesus references the bodies of the saints as having fallen asleep. John 11, Jesus references Lazarus as having fallen asleep. He was in the tomb three days. Why three days? Because Jews in that day thought that the spirit of the person hovered over the body for three days, but after three days it was gone. So why would they wait three days? To prove that they were dead. Hmm. How long was Jesus in the tomb? Hmm. To prove that he was dead in their minds. Matthew 9, Jesus references the little girl is not dead but sleeping. Biblically, there is life after death. And here's the, here's the encouragement out of this. If you've had a rough week, this is not the end. Okay? If you are in Christ, it's getting a lot better in the future. Not annihilationism. Secondly, the text here in verse 13 even points to not universalism. The idea that eventually everybody would be, will be saved at some point in time, even later down the road in God's redemptive plan of all things, that somehow everybody will be redeemed. I would love that. I don't want anyone to go to hell. Because if you understand biblically what hell is, even the most hellish people on the earth, you wouldn't want to go to hell. And yet in here it talks about there are those who have no hope. And I don't think I'm stretching it to carry the idea that when we're talking no hope, they have no hope. I mean no hope not just now on this earthly life, but no hope. While I would love to be able to embrace an idea of universalism, I cannot in any way validate it out of Scripture. And those who do twist it. I'm just telling you, they do. And part of the problem is, is you, you, you say that there are those without hope, you, you, you say that you disagree with universalism, and you're a creep. Because it's like, so you, you're, you're okay with people going to hell then? No, I'm not at all. But we have to stay true to what God's word says, right? Amen. 
even if I kind of have a hard time with it sometimes. I would love to be a universalist, but God's word doesn't teach that. And so we stay with what God teaches, not annihilationism, not universalism. And the last one is uh, do not grieve as others without hope. Here's an important point, grieve. The scriptures nowhere says do not grieve. The scripture says do not grieve without a hope. Do not grieve like the rest of the world without a hope. Grieve. And I think sometimes uh, God's people, when they have a, a loved one that is in Christ die, kind of have this guilt thing of I'm grieving. How should I grieve when, when I know that what I know? And, and yet it's no, grieve. Jesus did. But it's a grief that has hope. It's an informed grief. What, informed of what? Informed of this. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, verse 13, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. Verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Okay, here you go to your notes, all right? So you people just dying, fill in the blanks, you perfectionists. I love you. Um, Okay, here we go. Number one, why do we not grieve like those who have no hope? Because we believe in something. I want for you to understand this word that's used here for belief is not just like some fanciful willy-nilly belief. It's a present active indicative faith. Present active indicative, see, I gotta get my seminary money. So it, it means it's present, active, continuous. It's not just saying you had a faith. It's not saying you will have a faith. It's not even saying that you kind of have a faith now. It's present, active, continuous. It started somewhere and is actively and continuously moving. No, that kind of belief. Not 10 years ago and there's nothing after it. I want to tell you, if, just straight up, if you somewhere walked forward, prayed a prayer, and there's been no fruit in your life, you need to take a serious look on whether you know Christ is your Savior. Because here it's about this movement. This is your, here's the will of God, your sanctification in Christ and growing in Christ more and more. We're not perfect, but we're pursuing after. It's not a faith like I believe the earth is round. It's not a faith like I believe that George Washington exists and Abraham Lincoln exists. It's not a faith of, uh, of I believe that Jesus lived. It's not even a faith of I believe that Jesus lived, died, rose again, died on the cross, and I believe that Jesus was God. It's not left there. It's a faith that is put, it's, it's a knowledge that is put into action that changes your entire life. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, who drive the stake in the ground and receive Christ. And there are three things in the text here that we believe. First, Jesus died. Jesus died. And as time's gone on in America, that's more and more important for a couple reasons. Because the Islamic belief of the cross, Jesus did not die on the cross. How could God God die on a cross? That would be humiliating to a deity. Muslims do not believe that Jesus died on the cross. They believe that someone else died on the cross. No, Jesus 
died on the cross, and he didn't just swoon, he just didn't have a bad day. Anyone who thinks that has zero understanding of what a crucifixion entails. He died. He died like died. And so his death is a full payment. His death receives the full wrath of the Father that brings death on that. Jesus died. We believe that. And also, Jesus rose from the dead. Hallelujah. There is an empty tomb. Why is that important? Because if he didn't rise from the dead, we're all in trouble. Because if he didn't rise from the dead, there is none that can rise from the dead. No, 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 know this. Jesus died, and the text tells us Jesus rose from the dead. By the way, I just want to pause on this. That truth grounds everything. Okay? That is the grounding truth of everything. There is no bending, there is no shifting, there is no willy-nilly on it. Jesus died and rose from the dead. And then, by the way, the text also tells us that he will return. I've already noted that that fact in that day for Thessalonica people in that day, that the Godhead would return blew their mind. And it's kind of a shame in some ways that we just kind of almost take that for granted. It's not that we're awesome. It's not that heaven is in need of us. It's grace poured out that God would return for his. Sweet. Super cool. We'll have more information on that next Sunday. But the information continues I mean, really, it's kind of like, listen, know this. Jesus died, rose again. He's going to bring with, with him all of those who have fallen asleep. They could have stopped right there. Right? It could have stopped right there. And knowing this, Jeff Nicky, Philippowitzes, Marita Jelena and Adam, it's not over. It's not over. For you, for loved ones that you have, the new Christ is their Savior. It's not over. Hey, the party's coming, man. Let's get out of here. Verse 15. We get a little bit more information. Things that people divide and debate over. We're just going to savor here for a few minutes. Verse 15. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. In other words, what's about to be said is not Paul, Silas, and Timothy coming up with kind of a cool paradigm or a willy-nilly American dream wish. No, this is a word from the Lord. That we who are alive, who are left. Oh, I could spend time on that. We who are alive, those who are left. I might say Paul, Silas, and Timothy lived like Christ was coming in their day, but even if he came with those who are alive, it's still speaking to that. I'm not going to go there much farther. That we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. So here's another piece of information. Uh, Those that are alive, we will not precede. We will not perceive those believers who have died and fallen asleep. By the way, we is not all. One more time. Universalism is not a biblical concept. We, those redeemed in Christ through the work of his death and resurrection... 
We will not proceed. Why is this a big deal? Because back in the day, some were concerned that the dead would miss out on the big party in the end with Christ returning. And it's like, no, 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 they get front row seat. Just know this. They have a front row seat because we will not precede them. They go first. Hey, if we're still alive, they go first. It's really cool. How encouraging. Verse 16. For the Lord himself would descend from heaven. And listen to how awesome this is. With a cry of command. With the voice of an archangel. And with the sound of the trumpet of God. Boom! How cool is that? It's not like Jesus kind of going like, Wee! This is like with a command. This is a warrior cry. The idea of the Greek is just that. It's with authority. I'm here. I don't know what he's going to say. I don't know what the command is. But whatever it is, it's the idea of, oh, the Lord is coming with a command. And by the way, the terminology, some, some debate, is a voice with an archangel. Is it, is it sounding like an archangel or is it another archangel? Listen, I'm not going to debate it because whatever it is, it's awesome. Right? I mean, he's not coming like Pee Wee Herman kind of a thing. I mean, this is like the Lord is coming with a cry of command, the voice of an archangel, and the sound of a trumpet of God. And that's just not like some wimpy bugle at Boy Scouts kind of a thing. I don't know what the trumpet of God sounds like, but I promise you this, it is awesome. And the Lord is coming back in that. And then get a load how encouraging this is for the people in Thessalonica in time. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Front seat. Because likely some of them were concerned about that. And then verse 17. One of the greatest debated verses in Scripture then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up, snatched up. It carries the idea of a word that is kind of a radical grabbing a hold. You've heard of the word rapture. That's the idea of it. It's just like caught up. By the way, look at the text. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air so that we will always be with the Lord. Now look at this. Uh, We will be caught up. Okay, it's this idea of out of this present struggle, everything that's going on, there is this pull up, this snatch up, this, this caught up idea, this arpazeod is the, is the word that we're just grabbed to hold. Doug, when is that going to happen? What's the timeline? I'm not going there. I want it to be soon. <laughs> So I'm just going to hang here with the text. This isn't, a, this isn't an eschatology course. This is just what is the text saying? That's what it's saying right now. Clearly, there is some kind of rapture that takes place. That's the idea of the word here. Caught up, but notice in the text, caught up in order to be together, together with them. Together with them. With them who? Those that were redeemed in Christ and have died preceding the return of the Lord. 
Listen, when a person dies, uh, I'm kind of holding from going further in the text because I, I like to let it unfold as it moves and not jump ahead in the text. But know this, when a person dies, their soul is with the Lord. If they are in Christ, their soul is with the Lord. This is talking about then they will be risen and gathered together, the whole thing of that. I'm not doing it because that's not what the text goes into. It just tells the basic information, but just know this. We will be together with those who are redeemed in Christ one day together with them. Oh, but here's what's even better. Together with the Lord. Uh, Let me just note here, if I can lovingly try and attempt to do this graciously. If you're more excited about seeing a loved one that has passed away, that is redeemed in Christ, than you are about seeing the Lord, then I want to encourage you that you need to do some more study in God's word of how awesome the Lord is, okay? Because I think the whole thing with, with others is awesome, but I gotta tell you, the fact of being with the Lord like tops it all, okay? Together with them, together with the Lord, and by the way, together with them and the Lord, how long? Sweet. Forever, always. Why are Paul and Silas and Timothy communicating all of this? Well, verse 13. Because God's people are grieving. Because God's people are grieving over some of their teammates that have passed away. And, and, and in that, um, they do not want for them to walk informed because clearly this is causing struggle, if I could say it in the illustration. This is causing some concern in the boat as they're, as they're rowing for the Lord in this and they're getting stuck up and they're getting discouraged and they're getting confused and, and we all understand that and so how cool it is that they want to inform them so that they can continue on the will of God in their life. And what should be the outcome of them being informed that the Lord's got it? Well, the outcome should be a different kind of grief. Grieve. If you have a loved one that's known Christ and you miss them, you grieve for them, grieve. It's our loss, it's your loss. We get that. But at the same time, for those that are in Christ, we grieve unlike the rest of the world. Why? Because of this. Because it's not over. Grieve. Oh, and then verse 18. We are to encourage one another. I want to finish with this. Note, therefore, encourage, console, comfort one another with these words. What words? Those words. You mean those words? Yes, those words. Which words? Those words. Like what kind of words? Those words. Hey, Christ has died. He's risen from the grave. He's proved that there is victory over sin and death. And he's returning. And I don't know what's going on in your life right now, but if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, hey, let's keep rowing, man. And let's cross hard. And let's cross tired. 
and let's cross hopeful. This is not it. Theologically, we live in hell on earth. And one day, it's going to be different. And until that day, this is the will of God for you. Your sanctification in Christ, for Christ, more and more. It doesn't end here. It doesn't end here. Let's pray. I'm just with your heads bowed, if I could. I, uh, I would just like to give a word of encouragement maybe to those who are at a place to where they're not really sure if you have a relationship with the Lord. And, and even though I don't want to, the most loving thing I could do right now is if you don't know you have a relationship with the Lord, if you don't know that you're real redeemed in Jesus Christ, if you've not come to the place you've received Christ as your Savior because of your sin and have a changed life as a result of that, not a perfect life, but a growing life in Christ as a result of that, if you don't have that, then I just, out, out of love for you and out of love for the Lord and truth to his scriptures, I have to tell you, you are in danger. You, I say this lovingly, have no hope. And I don't say that arrogantly. I don't say that with my nose up in the air. I say that out of love for you. And if you don't know Christ, or if you're not sure, if you don't know that you know, it's time to know. And come ask someone, someone you're with, someone in your small group, someone up front, come and ask. Because you can know. Just like Shirley. And just like Ed. And just like Joe. They knew. For those in Christ. Oh, rejoice. Why would the Lord redeem a people like us, right? I mean, who am I? Who are you? We're sinners fallen from grace. And yet the Lord in his grace has come and provided salvation. And at the time of your receiving Christ, you're saying, you are redeemed, you are covered. The imputed righteousness of Christ from his death and resurrection is placed upon you. It is not about who you are. It is about who the Lord is every day, every moment, all the time. And rejoice in that, right? Because it's not about how awesome we are. It's about how awesome the Lord is. And he's coming back. And I'm tired. And I'm weary right now at this stage of life. Days I want to just pack it up. But he's coming. And this is not it. 
So let's keep rowing together. So Lord, that's what I pray that we do. Lord, rowing. Not rowing without a hope, but rowing with an informed, confident, known, secured, resting in you hope. And so we row. And we learn and we grow how to more and more informed in you because you are a God who informs his people. You've given your word. Oh God, give us an increasing passion for you and for loving you and serving you and glorifying you. And God, here as we close, we're going to sing a song that is a prayer of rejoicing because you're coming back. And those in Christ have every reason to rock the house as a result of that. And so come, Lord. If it's today, that would be awesome. This is a beautiful day. But until then, Lord, we row. In Christ's name.